Hi, I'm Chinny. And I'm Astrid, and welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that widens access to African history. We're also the co-authors of a book by the same name. You can find out more information about us on itsacontinent.com. We're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country by appreciating the identity of each nation. Through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. Hello and welcome back to It's a Continent and do we still say Happy New Year? Is that- yeah, this is, if you listen to this on schedule, then yes, Happy New Year, we're in 2024. Yes, I hope you have your bingo cards ready because 2023 was definitely not a quiet year and um, we're also in the mid-twenties now, so how do you feel about we that? Are, like almost halfway through it. Wow, okay. We're like... <laughs> Getting close to 2030. We're probably closer to 2030 than like 2010. Oh, I don't like that. Sickening. (laughs) Every time I think that I'm going to be 30 this year, I'm like, oh, girl. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just there like, well, in my 20s. That's my my favorite. Yeah, that's my favorite sentence. In my 20s. And I'm like, I know, damn sure it was only a few months ago. Uh, all the growth and progress you've made between <laughs> then and now. <laughs> so, so, so such a big difference. Oh, all right, it. I'll be using that line. At the moment, I'm like, oh no, I'm in my twenties, so I'm still, in, I'm still. That real card intact. I hear it. Thank gosh. <laughs> wow, that increase is really uh, a madness. <laughs> Not sure what I'll do after thirty-five. <laughs> Get a car. <laughs> Uh, oh no wait it runs out at 30 no, 31 31 top tips mm-hmm. yeah don't worry follow for the newsletter sim- for more <laughs> yes yes newsletter look at that segue look at that so we planned it we did not we did not um yes so for 2024 because we're not busy as it is enough as <laughs> we it have is nothing to do no. We have nothing, no no um we just wanted to get to know you guys a lot more and also share with you a bit more of what we do yes on top of it's a continent it's like it's a continent extended Mm. um we'll be covering things like travel culture music anything in between um making recommendations so it'll be a mix of stuff the first newsletter comes out in january so please do sign up on our website it's a continent.com forward slash newsletter there's a newsletter section on the top please do sign up yeah we've got a lot of things exciting things planned so make sure you keep up to date um and join the newsletter indeed and with that we move over to african pride and this week's african pride goes to mamadou safayou barry from guinea who cycled across six countries in West Africa to gain a place at his dream university. I mean, it's, yeah, quite I did not move this mad (laughs) to get to mine. It's just cycling all the way to Southampton Uni. Uh, I would already be done because I can't ride a bike. That is also true. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, guys, it's on the list for the nine nine months. Yeah, yeah. In my 20s, I learned how to... like dude this was something you should have been doing when you were like (laughs) in single digits all good but uh, the 25 year old cycled for four months and the reason that he cycled was because he couldn't afford the course nor the flights yeah to Egypt so he actually went through Mali, Burkina Faso, Togo, Benin and Chad and he actually ended up being detained in Burkina Faso and Togo so these are countries that as we know, are experiencing instability at the moment. And then when he reached Chad, a journalist interviewed him 
And people rallied round and they ended up buying Barry a flight to Egypt. So that was good. So when he arrived in Cairo, he ended up meeting with the Dean of Islamic Studies and received a full scholarship for the course. I mean, imagine <laughs> going all that way. Can like, you imagine? And then they're like, so the question that you get wrong is something around like, you know, your commitment to... <laughs> Wow, that would be such a slap in the face. So, sorry, you have to cycle back home now. Yeah. <laughs> or it's like a five-minute chat. Yeah, just a five-minute chat. No, thankfully, he did receive full scholarship and the actor Will Smith ended up uh, gifting him a new bike and a laptop. And he's also given him vouchers so he can fly back to Guinea to visit family and also for family to come and visit him. So... It's nice when celebrities uh, don't go to space and, and use their money to help people. Mm. <laughs> I did literally think it was going to stop that he just gifted him a bike and a laptop. I did think that. Yeah, no. I thought, and I was like, right. right. So he's already there now. He's already, yeah. So <laughs> like, wait, we're giving, I'm giving you a new bike <laughs> yeah, yeah. so you have the ability to get back. Yeah. yeah I was like, okay. I was like, that's a bit disrespectful. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> but yeah, no, I agree with the whole being able to fly back home. Bless him. That'll be nice. Gosh, so what a way. And just goes to show how much he values the education like you know what yeah if i can't make it by plane i'm gonna ride my bike why not gosh <laughs> through four countries yeah incredible i didn't incredible. even know you could do that we're actually not in a place today always <laughs> no we are not we are in a in a theme in a bubble as it were <laughs> um. <laughs> why does the word bubble remind me of covid I don't know. <laughs> so, sorry sorry i'm just trying to put this behind me that's like so 2020. <laughs> that was in my that 20s. Was, well, yes, that was in my 20s, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. But did you know that between 90 to 95% of African cultural heritage is held overseas? Probably not really a surprise, actually, thinking about it. But uh, this week, we're taking you through examples of items yet to be returned to their countries of origin and discuss the story behind how each of them were stolen. So we are, in fact, looking at the British Museum, um, which is a, an obvious example, where there are 73,000 items held from Africa alone. So it looks like we kind of need a bit of a name change there. Yeah. Um, perhaps it's not the British Museum, but anyways. Benin bronzes have been languishing in museum basements all over the world for around 125 years now, in more than 160 museums. The bronzes date back to between the 13th and 16th centuries from the former Benin kingdom in Nigeria. And the sculptures are varied in nature, carved from precious items such as ivory, bronze and brass. They're not like merely decor or like aesthetic. The objects actually represent the power and history of the Benin Kingdom. The Benin Kingdom was formed around the 12th century and was one of the first places in the world to have street lighting fueled by the local resource of palm oil. Nice. Fun fact. European men who called themselves scholars doubted in their words that primitive Africans could produce such work. The German archaeologist Leo Frobenius, who most likely stole a Yoruba Ife head in 1910, wrote, I was moved to silent melancholy at the thought that this assembly of degenerate and feeble-minded posterity should be the legitimate guardians of so much loveliness. That is such a wild thing to say. Imagine. So I cannot, I am sad. I am saddened. By the fact that. <laughs> the black people you made are, this. <laughs> that this is yours. You don't deserve nice things. So I'm going to steal it. I'm going to steal it instead. <laughs> Charles Reed, a curator for the British Museum between 1880 and 1921, said, We were at once astounded at such an unexpected find and puzzled to account for so highly developed an art among a race, so entirely barbarous as were the Binny. It just goes to show the attitude that they had, though. 
Yeah, it's that view that Africans are inferior and mm -hmm. you don't deserve to have any of this. Yeah. Like, yeah. How did these bronzes find their way to London, Vienna, Berlin, New York and beyond? British invaders stripped the kingdom of these items, selling them to Queen Victoria, keeping the items for themselves or selling for profit to Europeans. After the Berlin Conference of 1884-85, the Royal Niger Company was empowered, their racism justified, following the outlawing of the transatlantic slave trade. Previously, enslavement was a source of immense wealth for Britain in the forms of banking, shipbuilding and insurance. As the money needed to keep rolling in, politicians came up with the concept of legitimate commerce, which involved African forced labour within African countries. This would produce resources shipped to enrich Britain, an example of this being palm oil for soap production. Eventually, the Royal Niger Company's subsidiary would be absorbed into Unilever and would continue extracting palm oil from Gambia, Ghana and Nigeria for soap manufacturing. According to Al Jazeera, Unilever holds several African artefacts, but they claim these were gifts given to employees. I'm sorry, if that was, there's got to be rules around what gifts employees can get. But the bribery corruption. Do you know what I mean? It's a bit of a... Oh, that was a gift, but so then why is the company? Why is it not in that person's house? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's in the company's, like, I don't know, offices or whatever. It's like when everyone found out about um, how Unilever used to own Nigeria via that burner boy. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's that burner boy doing more for African history. Than <laughs> Unilever has really been around. It's, 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 it's done things. It's done, done a bit of a madness. We'll just never get into consumer. <laughs> oh, we've been there, done that. Britain negotiated what they called treaties with African rulers to allow this monstrosity and at the same time declaring Britain as a legitimate ruler. Kings of Africa's mega kingdoms such as the Ashanti and Benin kingdoms opposed these treaties. In response, Britain went on to violently depose kings, sending them to exile, ransacking and destroying property. This policy is what gave way to gaining colonies and looting treasures for modern-day Nigeria and Ghana. Richard Lander led one of the early expeditions leading to brutal acquisition of land. A Yoruba stool, which is now jarringly referred to as a Lander stool, is thought to be the first stolen artefact. The fact that it's also named after him mm. is, I have, is yeah, it's just it? it's a slap in the face. Mm -hmm. The stool is currently held in the British Museum. It is intricate with mini statues of many instrumentalists and soldiers supporting a horse-like figure at the centre. Lander called it a clumsy representation of a hippopotamus, but he got it wrong. It's a horse. I mean, if you don't even value it, why are you why taking it? Mm, just shoved his name on it. Back to the Bidin Kingdom, where Britain sent the Oba, or the king of the Bidin Kingdom, Ovon Ramwen, into exile, in the process decimating his trade around the Niger Delta so they could take over. The Bidin Kingdom fell to Britain in 1897. British and American newspapers celebrated Benin's capture as British colonial troops took at least 3,000 looted artefacts from the royal palace and surrounding homes. There are photographs of the custom at the time, which was for Europeans to pose with objects looted from the royal palace to capture the colonisation in 3D. It also shows that it's not that long ago, because, you know, people, oh, it was ages ago. It's like, yeah. no, we have photographs. Photograph, yeah, photographic we, evidence right. that this took place. But, hey-ho. Let's go and see the lander to store. <laughs>
Dante doesn't even know what it Dante, is. Yeah, he just... So it's so rude. You didn't even like it. Mm-hmm. And you just took it and named it after yourself. The colonizers auctioned stolen items in London to private collectors and galleries across the West, even as burn marks from the raid were visible on the artefacts. The soldiers kept some loot for themselves too, dressing up in fake traditional clothing and wearing blackface. Today, single pieces fetch more than $4 million. Oh, and there was that story as well about an old French couple who were really annoyed that had been in bronze in their attic, as you do. Mm-hmm. Um, they sold it to a second-hand dealer for 150 euros, but actually that item was then sold for 4.2 million euros at an auction. Wow. I'm sorry, as soon as it moves yeah. to, to the West, it becomes like... All of a sudden, yeah. The capitalism <laughs> yeah. is just like... And it's like, oh, it was just in my attic because I didn't really care for it. Yeah. But actually, it was like millions. And how did they get this object? How else do you reckon they would have gotten it? Mm. Yeah, their grandfather was a colonial governor in Central Africa. Another example is seen in the Chibok area in northern Nigeria. Whilst this region of Nigeria is now linked to the kidnapping of schoolgirls at the hands of Boko Haram, the community has a strong history behind it. In November 1906, around 170 British colonial forces led a punitive expedition against the town in line with annual raids along British trade routes. This led to an 11-day siege against the people in Chibok, with men shooting poisoned arrows against the British forces. In a report presented in British Parliament the following month, these men who had a right to defend themselves were referred to as a small Chibok tribe of savages, the most determined lot of fighters. The Chibok men held on for three months until the British discovered the area's natural water source, going on to starve out the community by controlling natural resources. Mm, Sounds familiar. Of course they did. What did the British do to the arrows and spears Chibok men used to defend their community? They sent them back to London where the items were held in storage. Even though there is online information about the arrows and spears, there's no reference as to one, how the spears got to London, and two, the resistance of the Chibok people. And they just sat in storage. So you're out here having a fight off and you're just also thinking about the fact that actually got like a Mm. a poisoned arrow there, we'll take that home Mm. and also sell it for like that is just it's a trophy it's their trophy isn't it everything can be monetized oh like absolutely every single element is Mm -hmm. monetized even when you're out here at war yeah yeah let's move over to modern day ghana in 1872 britain expanded its west african territories by purchasing the dutch gold coast the dutch sold the region in africa as following the abolition of the transatlantic slave trade they were making less profit got to ditch my country because it's not making me money anymore. The Asante people made an impression on Britain, with an MP describing them as the most warlike of the African tribes. The Ashanti refused to acknowledge British rule in the area, and in response, Britain did another punitive expedition in February 1874. Two and a half thousand British colonial troops destroyed the Kumasi Royal Palace using explosives, and they ransacked the city, setting it alight. Items stolen by British soldiers from raids within the Kumasi Royal Palace were auctioned off less than three months after Kumasi was raised by Britain. Garrod, a jeweller which operates in Mayfair today, auctioned these items. By 1897, Ashanti territory became part of the British Empire. There are more than 500 Ashanti royal items at the British Museum, 
with others at the V&A, Met Museum and the British Royal Family, amongst others. Over in Kenya, Britain has stolen more than 2,000 artefacts, including the skull of a Nandi chief, Samoe. He rallied against Britain's railway project, which was to pass through his land. A British colonel shot Chief Samoe dead, his body decapitated with his head taken to London. Although the son of the colonel returned the items stolen by his father in 2006, Chief Samoe's skull is still held in London. The British Museum had also held the Nganji, a sacred drum, for more than a century. It has never been put on public display and is instead gathering toxic dust, as it is not uncommon for items to be stored in arsenic. Why do they still have a skull? Like, what, um, what, what is it doing? No one is even... Why? It's just... Yeah. We see similar acts in Tanzania. Israel Anel Meli has been looking for his grandfather's remains for more than 60 years. His grandfather was Mangi Meli, a prominent chief and leader of the Chaga people. German colonial forces hung Chief Meli and 18 others after a rushed trial and accusation of the men plotting to attack colonial troops. The Germans wanted to make an example out of Chief Meli and the men who defended their territory and people. For 60 years and you're... 60 years. So how old do you think... This man is an old man now. He's mm. been searching for that long. So they know that he... That they have it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And after the hanging, German colonial forces buried the men's torsos in a mass grave and removed their heads. The heads of the men were sent to Berlin and in some cases, the whole skeleton... German colonisers saw bones and skulls as war trophies and wanted to use the remains of the men to defend scientific racism, establishing what they believed to be a racial hierarchy. So not only have you taken the bodies, you're now using it to then be like, well, this is why we think, we think that they're them. inferior. Yeah. Traditionally, the idea that the heads of the men were separated from the body is disturbing and goes against local belief. The bodies of these men were supposed to be buried in their homestead, in their homes, their homelands. And if not... It is believed that the spirit will continue to wander with a poor quality of life for the descendants. Isara has been writing to German and Tanzanian authorities since the late 1960s. Now in his 90s, his wish is to be able to see his grandfather before he dies. That's a really tough life. Why? This yeah. is what it... Like, I don't, we don't know. Like, it doesn't know. even make... It didn't make sense to the, when they did it way back when. Mm-hmm. But... At this point, no, at this point, at this point, let the guy return home. Because you know what I mean. The people um, in the community actually believe that they have been cursed because his body has not been returned. They say that there have been famines, and they really believe oh, that because really the spirit do. was not allowed to rest, that now, yeah, they're struggling as a result. Like it just doesn't serve you to keep like. Repatriation can be a cultural, spiritual, and symbolic act, recognizing past wrongs and restoring a sense of justice. Have a listen to our episode on reparations for more insight on their team. Look oh, at us a little doing plug. An, an internal <laughs> plug within a plug within a plug. Yes. Um, let's, let's not even ask what season that was. Uh, I, I couldn't tell it was not. It was not until the event for Black Square Summer of 2020 where the topic of African repatriation gained momentum, with it being widely accepted that looted items from the African continent has come to symbolise the evils of colonialism. In France, Parliament passed a bill in December 2020 allowing African objects to be returned, whilst in Ouagadougou, Burkina Faso's capital, French President Macron said, I cannot accept that a large part of cultural heritage from several African countries is in France. 
Yeah, dude. I mean, does <laughs> he be living under a rock? Did you? you cannot accept. Okay. <laughs> what are we doing about it? Nigeria has wanted to reclaim the Benin bronzes for a long time, spanning from the 1930s. By independence in 1960, the movement took hold and increased in pace at the turn of the century, with representatives from Nigerian and European institutions focusing on bringing the artefacts to their rightful home in Benin City. Professor Abba Tijani from Nigeria's National Commission for Museums and Monuments has issued formal repatriation requests to museums holding Benin bronzes. These items were acquired through force and violence, and it's appropriate to return them to their home. Jesus College, part of Cambridge University, became one of the first British institutions to announce the planned return of a looted Benin bronze cockerel. In August 2022, the Horniman Museum in London announced it would hand over 72 bronzes back to Nigeria. And I did see this, actually, because where the bronzes were, there was a note being like, these have been agreed to be returned. So. Oh. It was actually good to see it announced as well at the exhibits. Germany has also become the first national government to announce a substantive return of more than a thousand bidding bronzes held within the country in 2022. I'm glad to see that a lot of these universities and museums are now agreeing to return. But on top of that, also because you've kept it for decades. Yeah. Also investing in tourism, right? Mm. It's empty here. The reason why everything is now back at its rightful place, feel free to go and visit. Go and visit it. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, there has to be some form of like, I guess maybe it's greed, but I want there to be like a, okay, we recognise we've now... We've made back, money because, because we've kept of, your eyes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. For this long and, yeah, yeah, the re- yeah. you know, it's added value and the reasons mm. why people come and visit. So... Go yeah. and visit Nigeria. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like. Yeah. It's. I don't know. I just feel like. It should it's be not part of the note. It's part, it's yeah, part of, yeah. It yeah. should be part of it. Yeah. Now you've. The reason why this museum is empty. <laughs> <laughs> Are we imagine the British Museum empty? We're just walking around these empty museums and like, yeah. oh, why? Why is why that? Is and then it's just like, yeah. um, okay, we're giving uh, 10% off to, uh, for you to visit Nigeria where you can actually see them. And I don't know. I just mm. don't. I think that it has to go just beyond returning mm-hmm. because you also have to encourage people to go back because yeah as you said you've been making money for decades yeah with these items yeah it's only right for you to so that that's you part of contribute. the process that's part yeah. of the process yeah yeah no agree lagos statue governors are still awaiting the return of the lander stool which we mentioned earlier, which really needs a uh, name. I'm needs sorry, I feel really uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. calling it lander I'm, stool. I don't know what it w- was supposed to be called that that's the thing The new John Randall Centre is in its final stage of development and is a museum in Lagos celebrating Yoruba culture. As the stool is incredibly symbolic of the inception of Nigeria as a colonial state, it would form the centrepiece of the new museum. Yeah, I'm sorry, centrepiece and you're calling it Lander. Yeah. The struggle also continues with the British Museum, as European state-owned institutions require legislation to be able to return their collections. Whilst this has been enacted in Germany and France, the British Museum Act of 1963 and the National Heritage Act of 1964 makes things challenging. I have a feeling these were all like pre-planned. Oh, they knew. They knew. They were all in the 60s. I was like, oh, that's after the year of Africa. (laughs) We're shutting this. Let's stop Mm -hmm. this. In 1974, the Ashanti royal family requested for the British government to pass legislation to return the loot but was met with a racist and rude response. Mm. Once the House of Lords got wind that the sacred objects are believed to contain the souls of ancestors, a representative mocked, 
Would it not be possible to keep the booty and return the souls? Another Lord's member was weary in returning the artefacts as they believed, in their own words, it would turn into a striptease of British museums. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you, I'm glad you got the point. Mm, yeah. You need to. Isn't Dyson British? Mm, look you at him. Do, do, no, but I mean, like, just put a load of Dyson ahead. Like, there, there's the like, there's elements of history in that. <laughs> Steam trains back. Yeah. There's other elements of your history. Oh, yeah. What about the two world wars and one World Cup? Yeah. <laughs> Don't make that into a museum. I don't know. The Nairobi National Museum showcased a series of empty shelves representing more than 32,000 objects stolen from Kenya during the colonial era. The exhibition, called Invisible Inventories, demonstrated how a loss of heritage affects local communities. The importance of Africans being able to showcase their own stories remains at the mercy of European institutions who offer to loan back African treasures to African countries, but this has not been enacted. Even so, in the words of Ghanaian writer and filmmaker, Nana Aforiata Ayim, the scenario is, you kill my parents, then you take objects from me, then I come back to you and say, this has been a really traumatic event for me and I want those objects back. You say to me, well, they're mine now. Maybe I'll lend them to you. Ooh. That's basically what has been happening. Yeah. Gosh, that relationship though. Oh, that is, when mm-hmm. it's put like that though. Yeah, yeah. Senegal and Côte d'Ivoire have also demanded the return of objects held in French museums. Objects looted from Africa that have been recovered pale in comparison to what was taken a century ago. Restitution is much broader than simply returning an object. It's about the reintegration into society, the restoration of an object sacred to local communities, and it is about empowerment. That quote, though, has really hit me. Mm. That's basically what's happened. It's just, yeah. it's another, it's just how colonialism continues to persist because how is it that the European institutions are in charge of your own treasures, of your, own your own history? Yeah. And they're able to continue shaping that narrative and what it looks like and how it's represented. Because mm. even though it is, a lot of these artifacts are in Europe, we don't get access to that history like that. We're not taught it. No, exactly. So, then, so why is it so there? Why is yeah, it, because do you know what I mean? Unless you're going to be out here and say, <laughs> yeah. guys, we were really... Yeah. We, we were te- like we were all like beyond awful and this is what we did. That reality isn't shared and that honestly mm, I in terms of what that. we learn. Because, for example, with the ancient Egypt, for example, a lot of things have been looted from there ancient Egypt taught in school from very young you Mm -hmm. go to the British Museum have a look at the stuff but then I was like wait a minute if you go to if they've taken all the bidding bronzes they're not even teaching it like the ancient Egyptians no so like what is the purpose what is the we're not justifying that they've taken it but even so it's just it's not (laughs) this is is what I think it's just sat in storage so what I just yeah baffling 2024 really gotta yeah what is quite exciting is about the, the prospect of museums opening up in the continent to showcase some of these repatriated items. So yeah. hopefully those start to continue taking shape. That's all we can hope for. Okay, well, thanks for joining us for another episode of It's a Continent. You can follow us on Instagram at It's a Continent Pod, on Twitter at It's a Continent or X, whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I forgot. It's not really Twitter. I feel like anymore. everybody's <laughs> uncomfortable saying X. Very uncomfortable. Uh, I, Every time I see that, it's it's gross. Formerly known as... (laughs) Formerly. (laughs) Um, 
And you can also remember to sign up to our newsletter. It's continent.com slash newsletter. And we'll be sending out monthly updates on what we're up to, things we're seeing, doing, eating, etc. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.